It's Monday, and that means Radioactive is passing the mic to a new wave of journalists from Salt Lake Community College in partnership with Amplify Utah. I'm Marcy Young-Cancio, Assistant Professor of Journalism and Digital Media at SLCC and founder of Amplify Utah, a nonprofit focused on bolstering representative journalism in local news. So glad to have you with us. Tonight on KRCL 90.9, we have a special episode that I'll let our host, Alexi Zollinger, tell you all about. Alexi? Yeah, welcome to another episode of Voices Amplified on Radioactive. I'm Alexi Zollinger, staff writer at The Globe, uh, that's Salt Lake Community College student-run newspaper. And we are dedicating our show tonight to listening and talking about the invasion of Ukraine. We have the incredible opportunity to hear from 21-year-old Anton Podubny, who was born in Ukraine and came to Utah Valley University as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Anton, his wife, and their newborn daughter, are currently living in western Ukraine after fleeing Bilasurfka, roughly 50 miles from the capital city, Kyiv. Accompanying Anton will be Amy Schaefer, editor at The Globe and Voices Amplified team member. Amy has been in contact with Anton and is working on a story about his experience in Ukraine. Then we will speak with leaders from the Utah Ukrainian organization about how Utahns can help and what organizations and resources are available to support Ukrainian refugees. Anton and Amy, thank you for being on the show. And Anton, especially, thank you for taking the time to join us tonight to share your story. We're so grateful to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me here. Of course. Uh, Amy, since you have an established relationship with Anton as a result of the story that you're currently writing about his experience, I think that you're best suited to guide this conversation. So to start, Amy, can you tell us a little bit how you got in contact with Anton? Yeah, so... um... It's kind of random. It was actually through my neighbor, um, Heidi Condi. So I have to give her a bit of a shout out um, because the story wouldn't have happened without her. She actually works at UVU and knew Anton's wife, Valentina. Um, And so she saw some of the stuff that we were doing through KRCL and Amplified Utah. And she just came over to my house and she was like, can you please, is there anything you can do? And I said, sure. So she made the connection. And here we are. Yeah, very important to get this story out. We appreciate her making that effort. Absolutely. Um, So I guess I'll just kind of talk a little bit about um, Anton, because Anton does have some Utah connections. Um, Anton went to UVU. Um, He didn't know Heidi um, personally, but his wife does. Um, So how long did you actually live in Utah, Anton? I actually knew Heidi personally. Oh, you did? Yes, all of the office in which we worked, they were really close. And uh, on one of the baby showers I attended with my wife, she was my, we were dating at that time. Uh, I had a conversation with Heidi and uh, because like, any, anyways, we we're all connected, international students, all these offices are next to each other. And I just remember Heidi, she was so sweet and uh, yeah, just such a good person. Uh, yeah, but um, what was your question? My connections to to Utah. Um, how long you actually lived here? Uh, oh, yeah. So I lived here for um, five, uh, four years, um, and um, it, uh, since August two thousand seventeen up until May of twenty twenty one. So, how long have you been back in Ukraine? So we've been back for about ten months about 10 months. So um, you've had a ton happen in that 10 months. Um, You got married um, just before you guys left. Well, a few months before you guys left um, Utah. In February. And when all of this happened, um, your wife was pretty far along in her pregnancy. Is that correct? Yes. She was on the 39th week. Yeah. So kind of tell me a little bit um, about your your day-to-day before, you know, the 24th. So like, what was your week like before all of this happened? What was your regular day-to-day? So um, we just lived um, a pretty normal life. Uh, We were expecting our first child. We were getting ready to become parents for the first time. And um, we were just buying um, some clothes and um, I assembled this beautiful crib. We bought a new stroller, you know, and um, just just had this general excitement of becoming parents for the first time. 
And um, I shared with you um, a picture, uh, one of the last pictures we, we've taken on, on the phone before the war started. Uh, we just had this idea of taking a selfie in, in the mirror. And uh, like I was like uh, hugging my wife and she had a belly. And then we would take a picture maybe in two months uh, and showing the baby like, oh, the baby's out and wearing the same outfits and everything. So it was the last picture I've taken on my phone. And uh, we didn't expect anything, although we were warned by um, some church members who came from the Kyiv stake that um, one of the church members who came, he actually worked, um, he was an ex-intelligence person, like Ukrainian intelligence. Uh, so he had roots in that area of, um, you know, Ukrainian affairs. So he said that the war is imminent and we all should prepare food. And the presidency of Ukrainian church, uh, LDS church, also warned all members to prepare some food pantry, which we did. But we still did not believe that something like this would happen. So out of nowhere, the war started and we were prepared a little bit more than some other people. Right. Um so we've talked a little bit, but I would like you to kind of tell um, our audience about the morning of February 24th. So um, I am a seminary teacher at Our Word in Vila Tsarkva, and uh, we teach seminary at 6 a.m. So um, the this blitzkrieg or um, the instant um, blow up of Ukraine started at, at around 5 a.m. all over Ukraine. And I, I, I'm usually, like, it, it's hard to wake me up. So I didn't hear the first explosion, but my wife did because it's so easy for her to be um, awake. Uh, so I remember that she shakes me and she wakes me up, like, Anton, something big has exploded. Like, I'm so afraid. And I'm saying, no, nothing has exploded. Like, go back to sleep. And it was, like, 5.30 ish am by 40 <clears throat> so and then she's like i feel like the war started or something so i immediately grab my iphone i start to um text uh start start to search in google and then as soon as i see the news that the war started i, I hear another explosion and it was so so strong like the entire house was shaking um i looked at the window that goes into into the, like the parking area of our apartments. And I just saw like so many people at 6 a.m. Uh, or 5.30 a.m. like just trying to grab as much stuff as, as they can uh, and put, put, it, put it in the tr trunks of their cars like to flee. And there was so much panic and my wife was panicking. Like, she was literally shaking like this. Uh, and I was so afraid that it would like, um, um, it would be bad for um, the baby because the baby would be in distress. Um, so uh, I, I had like this feeling of shock, even though we had all these documents prepared and we had all this food prepared and we had, like, we could grab, you know, our backpacks and go somewhere, but we didn't, we didn't know where to go. Like I was like, okay, like we should sit down and we should, think where we should go and she my wife Valentina she just wanted to leave immediately somewhere because uh, our apartment is pretty uh, pretty tall but like, the building is pretty tall and if the rocket gets into this building it would be like catastrophic immediately um, so yeah that's how we like these were some of the some of the first events of uh, the 24th of February um, and you have um, other people living with you right um Besides just you and your wife? In our apartment in Bilatsarkwa? Yeah, or n that wasn't until after you fled? No, like my my wife's family lived in a separate apartment a few minutes away from us and we lived separately. So um, tell me about like actually trying to find shelter and how that all worked out. So because we um, are uh, church members, we have a, we have this chat, we have, you know, we're trying to help each other. Some people have cars, some people have, you know, um, supplies, this and that. So uh, my wife, she knew that she would not be comfortable staying in our apartment. 
so she just had this idea to move somewhere safe or, or relatively safe. Um, and then, so immediately after this explosion happened, we gathered our clothing, essential clothing. We gathered like documents and things. So we departed to uh, my wife's uh, parents' apartment. Um, we just had this walk and it was like super fresh outside and like, it didn't look like a war started. Um, yeah, but when we arrived to, to the apartment, it, it's also on the fourth floor. So it also would be catastrophic if the rocket launched in this building um, and got into this building. So um, we just decided that we want to have, uh, we want to go to like a residential housing, like um, a one floor or two floor house somewhere in the res residential area, maybe outside uh, the city with a basement. And we found out that one of the families in our ward also moved from, a, from an apartment to that residential house. And one ward member also offered us to go there. And they like refurbished this old um, basement um, to like be warmer. They put some electric warmers in there, some blankets and uh, mattresses. So we immediately decided that it is going to be safer there than staying in these um, high floor apartments. So Anton, do you feel safer where you are now? You feel safe there? So we where where I am now, we moved. So it's about what five um five hundred miles from our place or four hundred miles um in the in Bielasarkla. And it's like this area where it's surrounded by mountains. There's only one way in or out in this valley. So uh, the ground infantry would never get here. The only way to get here is by rock, like a rocket, rocket launch. Um, we definitely feel more safer here because like the borders with Hungary, Romania, all those countries are NATO members. And if the rocket launches here, it basically means that it's like right on the doorstep of NATO countries. So um, something like this probably would never happen. So we, we do feel safer here. That's good to hear. Although although we do we do have more frequent air raid um, sirens, um, like starting from this week, like almost um, at, at least three times a day. I just want to back up a little bit and talk about you just had a brand new baby girl. Well, now she's a probably, what, three weeks old now. Um, and this was kind of all through the chaos of the first week. Um, you want to kind of talk about, I saw a picture on your Facebook and it was kind of like what we expected. And it was this beautiful nursery and kind of the dichotomy of what really went down. If you want to kind of um, talk about the day your daughter was born. So um, before, um, like as the due date was approaching, um, my mom, like she just had the stream, like, oh, um, she will be born on March 2nd, but she was right. Uh, but still we were like, well, maybe if it, it will come earlier or later, but in, in any way, because my mom is, she's an obstetrician. She like um, told me like what to do in case we will need to give birth at home, so I was I was gathering supplies, like getting a clamp for the umbilical cord, and uh, all, all other things. But then um, we had an explosion before on March first, and then like my my wife was shaking, and uh, and then she kind of like wanted to go back to sleep, but then she started having contractions at like 5 a.m. on March 1st. Um, and then we decided that we will go to the hospital because we know that they have a bomb shelter uh, there. And then we arrived and it was a total mess. Like it had, like they had, they had homeless people in there. They had dogs, cats, people who were not patients of the hospital because like, it was it was the one of the only bomb shelters in in the area um, that that was left untouched uh, by um, like since the since it was 
anticipated um, and, and made um, prepared for the Cold War, you know, like uh, that era. Um, so um, we spent there about like a day and then contractions became stronger and stronger and it was like my wife, she was in so so much pain that she didn't have an epidural. She didn't have, you know, all these uh, benefits of modern, you know, hospitals. Um, and I was trying to help her, like, come on, you can do this. But, I mean, there's really nothing I could do. Um, so when uh, contractions started getting stronger and stronger, they took her away from me. And it was around... 2 a.m. Uh, on March 2nd. So she was on the first floor. And, and at that time, they still were doing some procedures with C-sections and the actual delivery on the first floor and then transferring women to the uh, underground. And then when we were separated, an explosion happened. And because the maternity hospital is quite close to the military airport, it was very loud, like the entire building, it has seven floors, it was shaking. And um, I remember like, oh, oh my goodness, where, where is my wife? And immediately you have like all these women, like I remember this woman, she had a C-section and she was just like transferred right away next to me, um, right from, from the delivery room. Like she was not even conscious, like fully conscious. And uh, so many people, like, I, I wasn't able to find my wife. And then I saw her and, like, in the middle of contractions, like, she was walking and it was, like, so, so heartbreaking. And then time has passed and then she gave birth. I was crying so much when I heard the first screams. I knew that this is what it's supposed to be. It means that the baby is healthy. And then the next... Uh, uh, 24 hours we spent after the delivery, um, also in horrible conditions. Like uh, nobody showed us how to breastfeed the baby. They gave the formula right away because actually nobody had breast milk because everybody was under so much st stress. So pretty much everybody was on the formula. Um, um, like entire sanitary conditions, they gave only like two shots to the baby out of supposed three shots, which they do in Ukraine. I know some shots uh, are, you know, different in Ukraine and in the US. Uh, and uh, usually they require you to stay for at least three days or two days with, a, with an optional three days. But we were like, no, we're getting out of here. We are so tired. We didn't sleep. Uh, we didn't eat enough food. We didn't see any sunlight for two days. Um, and then we went to this house of the ward member where we stayed before. Right. And um, when you say you went to this house, um, you had some video, which I will um, get to KRCL. Um, but talk about kind of the conditions of where you were staying and how many people were staying in that house. So we had about 12 people. Um, it was the family of the house owner, his, his three kids, his wife his mother-in-law, and we had this um, other family. Um, it was our bishop with his wife and his two-year-old son. And it was me, uh, my wife, with her, with the child in the womb. Um, uh, also my, mo uh, my mother-in-law and my uh, grandma-in-law. Um, yeah, so we... It, it was a normal house. Uh, like, it was furnished and everything, but the basement was like it was not taken care of before uh, the war but when the war actually started they brought in like this uh, fireplace uh, they brought in uh, like electric warmers they brought in mattresses um, it was warm when you when you had a coat but without it it would be a little bit cold um, it it was fine um, we were glad that we were in that place uh, rather than in the apartment. <clears throat> but yeah, but the video or picture I shared with you, um, yeah, that's where they, the the two two mothers, two mothers and two daughters, they kind of like were hugging each other and covering. Uh, mothers were hugging the their children, uh, their daughters because we had this fighter jet 
sound and it was like right above the house i don't know maybe like 100 meters or even less above the house and we didn't we didn't know like is it going to crash into this house is it going to launch a missile so we which were i think we were kind of expecting to die at that moment that's kind of the moment where you were like we have to leave home right yeah if you're just joining us, you've been listening to Anton Podobny, who fled his home city in Ukraine following Russia's invasion and welcomed his daughter in early March, and Amy Schaefer, who is writing a story on this experience. Who helped you find a residence when you went further west? So um, um, we have a good friend, Irina Chalkis, and she she's a Ukrainian, but she was uh, our mutual friend with my wife at UVU. We would have been staying in touch uh, sometimes, but she went to Denver to study um, biotechnologies. And then I was finishing, and my wife were finishing our digital marketing degrees at UVU. And then when the war started, she knew that like we were having a baby in Ukraine. So she immediately like started thinking about us. And so the many people in Utah who, we, who knew, um, and then when I think a couple of days before uh, this incident with the fighter jet, she was offering us like, whenever you guys feel like you're not safe, you can go to the West and stay at my parents' house. Um, so uh, we were like, no, that's not necessary. Like we're still feeling relatively safe here. And we didn't think that we would actually need to leave. So then when this fighter jet incident happened, my, my wife was like, I am not staying here. I don't feel safe for, for Evgenia. Um, so we have to leave. So I texted her and said, Irina, is, is this offer still you know, uh, available? And she said, oh, yes, of course. My, my mom has been holding a place for you because they already um, uh, ho- hosted a, another couple from Kiev. Uh, so uh, Irina's parents have two daughters, and one of the daughter's pa- uh, friends were in Kiev studying um, f- physics uh, in the university. Um, so they also came from Kiev and started hosting them in their house. And uh, Irina's parents offered us to stay in in the guest house. Um, so we immediately accepted the offer, and we started looking for um, transportation to get there. Anton, this is Alexi. Are you surprised by the reaction from the rest of the world and by some of the civilians from other countries who are trying to sign up to fight in support of Ukraine? I am not surprised um, because um, Ukraine is fighting for democracy, uh, which is the prevalent uh, type of uh, like a government structure um, in the world and should be. And uh, many people understand that um, it's like, like Ukraine, like the bombs are dropping at the doorstep of Europe, the the NATO countries. And they understand that Putin, like some of the remarks that uh, Russian politicians made um, that, you know, like, Baltic states be like your next or Poland, your next, like just the, just the um, like remarks of saying that some of these countries should not exist. Um, that's what makes uh, um, Putin's and some other Russia's leadership uh, opinion that these countries sh- should not exist. Um, that's what makes some, um, that's, that's what makes other people to stand up for, not, not just Ukraine, just their own rights and having a right to have democracy and free speech and other benefits that Russia doesn't have now and never had in these last 20 years. Yeah, it really is incredible. Amy? Um, So Anton, I just want to um, talk about some current events. There has recently been in the news that Russia and Ukraine have had some talks face-to-face for the first time in weeks, Um, and they're supposed to do there, as in Russia, supposedly supposed to be um, pulling back a little bit. What do you actually think about those talks? I, I don't believe in any talks because when, you know, 
we, I don't believe in, in any papers. I don't believe in any, you know, all these treaties because we've had a treaty once. Um, it's called the past a memorandum on security assurances in 1993, I believe. And then that's when Ukraine gave up uh, nuclear weapons. And Russia was one of the countries that promised to never invade um, and um, put Ukraine's sovereignty into danger, uh, which they broke so many times in these last eight years. Um, so um, we, we will see what kind of uh, assurances um, will be given uh, by Russia. And I, I hope that other countries like UK, United States, uh, Germany will be uh, backing up Ukraine in those claims. Um, and uh, everything is going to be different this time. Uh, and actually something like something will be written down as, okay, if somebody invades Ukraine one more time, these are the actions and these are the things and these are the vehicles that are going to be given to Ukraine and these are the airplanes that will be given to Ukraine. And uh, this, like, everything will be outlined. Uh, and I, I hope that diplomacy will actually, you know, win over the war, over the war, because I don't want to see one more maternity hospital getting destroyed, um, like, like it was in Mariupol. I guess to follow that up, like, what do you want to tell people, or what do you want people in the states to know? I mean, you reached out. Um, for a reason you wanted to tell your story. So um, what would you like people to know? I would like people to know that even though they're so far away, um, they can do so many things. Uh, they can uh, go and um, like protest. They can, uh, well, because sometimes for, for certain politicians, it takes like a while to, you know, to do something, and uh, that's why uh, we we are the ruling power of democracy. We are the voice of democracy. If we share our opinions, if we do something, we uh, the the bigger decision makers will actually get up and do something as well. Because we, as a ruling power of democracy, we will uh, tell them to do this. Um, so many people just. Um, praying for Ukraine, um, just uh, uh, gathering, you know, human, humanitarian aid, um, gathering, um, like, it, it's, it's just so incredible when people unite, like, I, I know, I know so many stories when people need like, a, you know, a truck to transport some goods, and it feels like, okay, where, where am I going to find a truck to transport these goods that are essential to the people of Mariupol, and then when people text and like communicate and share this information on Facebook, this truck, like, you know, people find the truck in like 15 minutes, or if somebody needs a special type of uh, medicine, uh, or a baby formula that like, you know, that only, that is only sold somewhere in this place nobody heard of, like, these things are actually getting found when everybody's getting united, and it feels like, I don't know, um, like if you're religious or not, like higher powers, God, uh, you know, whoever uh, is just helping us. And it's like the, the world and the universe is just with us. And um, just by thinking, just by like, just do something that that, that would be my, my, my message. That's a great message. Um, speaking of just like uniting, uh, Music in such times of hardships really has the ability to bring people together. And do you have a song or a music group whose music has brought you and your family a special amount of comfort during this time? Well, I can I can't speak from, from my entire family because we all have very different tastes in music. Different music tastes, <laughs> right? But um, I like uh, I really like the band called The Heart Kiss. and uh, one of the songs I've been listening to is uh, called Free Me and I mean, the, the title just speaks for itself. Uh, free me, uh, the survivor in the ocean, uh, praying to God, uh, forgiving, and uh, just uh, um, trying to survive. And yeah, that's, 
that's the spirit of Ukraine right now. We are praying, we are surviving, we are um, um, promising ourselves to survive. And uh, and in the, in the lyrics, it, it talks about the looking at the motherland and yeah, all those things. When we come back, we'll talk with a Ukrainian living in Utah, Miroslava Rudnik, as well as the work of the Utah Ukrainian Association on another Voices Amplified edition of Radioactive on KRCL. All right, Anton, let's get that song on for you, okay? Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for sharing my story. Survivor in the ocean Sails the raft his only hope He has no clue, no notion Where is land and where's his hope? So he closed his eyes and saw his motherland He was praying to Guadalupe School in Rose Park needs volunteers to teach English to adult immigrants in our community. No teaching experience or a second language is required, just the desire to make a difference. More information at guadschool.org. Spring is in the air. It's getting warmer outside. The days are brighter and longer. And KRCL is playing the perfect soundtrack just for you. Spring Radiothon is coming up soon. Help to make sure we can keep bringing you the music and information that you rely on with a donation to KRCL. Help us get a jump start on the drive and make your donation today at krcl.org. Thanks. Welcome back to Voices Amplified on Radioactive. I'm Alexi Zollinger, staff writer with Salt Lake Community College's student-run newspaper, The Globe. We're hosting the show tonight to share diverse stories from the community in partnership with KRCL 90.9 and Amplify Utah. Joining us now is Mira Rudnik, a Ukrainian living in Utah, here to discuss some of the resources and efforts that are being done by the Utah Ukrainian Association. Mira, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
So uh, how and when did the Utah Ukrainian Association come about and how involved are you? Uh, so Utah Ukrainian Association actually has started back in 2014 when uh, the actually like the beginning of the war when uh, uh, Russia invaded uh, Eastern Ukraine, um, which now is Eastern Ukraine and as well as uh, Crimea. So that's that's when the small group of Ukrainians gathered together and we just started, you know, trying to do everything what we can here uh, as being away from our families and help them. When Russia started gathering troops around Ukraine's borders in late February and then eventually attacking, how did the Utah Ukrainian Association react and how did planning and efforts uh, go into place? Well, uh, I think of, well, they, first of all, they didn't, like, they didn't, Russia did not gather uh, troops in February. They gathered troops, like, Anton helped me probably, like, four or five months. Uh, they started pulling together all of the troops around Ukraine, like, four or five months. They just, they were just saying it's uh, for training. So it's it started much earlier, and the whole world was watching when, when, uh, as they were basically rolling all of these people and machinery uh, surrounding basically half of Ukraine from um, all like sides from uh, Belarusia and from Crimea, from the Black Sea and from Russian side. So it's it, it didn't start in February. It did start like four or five months before. So what kind of uh, efforts and events started happening? did the association sort of work on immediately? Uh, well, as soon as war, uh, well, on the 24th, when uh, war broke out, we uh, put together, um, well, again, not we, like put the girls from uh, the Ukrainian Association and just all we try to do is just go and protest and uh, bring an awareness. Uh, we went to Capitol uh, building several times. And then um, actually Governor Cox was really as well awesome and open about um, supporting Ukraine and he put together um, stand with Ukraine and put together that uh, you know he lived the capital for um, his they said the second time in the in the history of Utah they lived the capital it was lights uh, first one was for Olympic Games and this was the second time when they lived the capital was uh, blue and yellow that was um, so the Ukrainian Association um, just putting together events, um, charities, for example, a recent charity was a, a drive uh, by um, kind of a market where people could go come by and get like buy things. And all of the money and profits would, uh, goes to um, charities in Ukraine. And all of this information is on uh, Ukrainians.org. I'm sorry. Uh, as well, uh, recently we had a, an event, Art for, for Peace and uh, Voices of Ukraine in the Cathedral of the Madeline. That was a beautiful event as well. A lot of uh, Ballet West, um, uh, Utah Opera, Utah Symphony, they all participated in that, in that event. A lot of money was raised and all of this money was uh, sent, uh, buying the supplies um, and um, uh, yes, buying supplies and sending back to Ukraine. Um, they, this far, I've been sent like three, I believe three uh, planes was all was all the help to to Ukraine, uh, to well to Ukrainian borders to Poland, so it could be distributed. So just kind of like um, expanding on that. So on your uh, website, it says you work directly with Ukraine's Volunteer Defense Force. Can you maybe just explain that relationship and how the efforts, including these donations, get to the ground in Ukraine? Yes, basically all of the, all of the money goes uh, directly to uh, Utah, oh, Utah, I'm sorry, the Ukrainian army and um, also buying, buying here, trying to buy uh, here all of the military, military supplies, for, and I say military supplies, um, uh, bulletproof uh, vests, for example, that's a really, uh, not many people have those, uh, buying it here, trying to buy it here, and then send it to borders in Poland. And then from Poland, they uh, they just basically drive it uh, inside to Ukraine, to different areas. 
you have a lot of great resources on your website and um, or on the Utah Ukrainians Association website. Uh, so one of the efforts is you or the association is asking for signatures on a petition that asks the U.S. government to waive U.S. visa requirements and or grant refugee status to Ukrainian citizens. Can you maybe speak on the status of Ukrainian refugees in the U.S. or in Utah and why is this um, petition important? Yes, that's this one is really close to me because uh, my family is obviously like family friends are all, all back in Ukraine and um, and currently uh, currently there is no easy way for Ukrainians to come to United States. Like for example, like all of the like neighborhood countries of Ukraine, like Poland, Germany, like basically all of the European countries, they opened up borders for Ukrainians and they can just come in and, and basically find a shelter there, even, even if people don't have like passport or passport is expired. Uh, similarly, Canada, they opened, they simplified a visa process for Ukrainians. Uh, they've waived fees for, for like for application process. Uh, and even I, I think they even alluded yesterday that uh, they maybe, maybe even will do um, these are free entrance for Ukrainians, but uh, I'm not sure the status on this. I, I, I don't think it came into the law yet, but at least they uh, waived fees and simplified process for Ukrainians to come to Canada, where United States, um, it's it's pretty sad. Uh, they do charge, like for example, uh, there is no uh, refugee visa or there is no um, visa currently that Ukrainians could apply for. So what Ukrainians are doing right now, they are applying for tourist visas like B1, B2, and they pay $160 and wait for months to go into the you know, embassy for the interview. And thousands of people are being denied in, in, in this visa. And which is sad. I mean, like sad, for, first of all, because they've been denied. And second, that uh, United States, like the Homeland Security, they continue taking this money for visa applications just to give uh, this denial with $160. Like Anton, you live in Ukraine. That's like you can you can buy food for like whole family for like for the months, and people basically just waste this money paying for like application and hope that they can get a visa to come to United States. And they just waste this money. And imagine it's like family of two or family of three. Like for example, my sister, uh, like that would be herself and, and my nephew. That would be $320 just to go in and waste this money for like, just to hear it is like they are denied. They, they can't come to United States. Um, there is there was, like last week when Biden went to uh, Europe, he promised to bring thousand, a hundred thousand people give 100,000 Ukrainians uh, um, access to come, to, ability to come to Ukraine. Again, there is no law, there is no uh, pathway for Ukrainians to apply for, for, this, for this opportunity. There is like, it does say on the website on the USCS that um, there is a humanitarian parole that Ukrainians can use. But you know what? That humanitarian to apply for this humanitarian parole, it costs five hundred and eighty-five dollars for application. You go in, you you make all of this application process, which is I understand that like you need to like they like Homeland Security, they need to do a background check, and then it takes months until they receive some kind of answer. And if it's denial, for example, then again like five hundred and eighty-five dollars for the application. So there is no like currently there is no pathway for Ukrainians to use that those promises that Biden made um, to accept 100,000 100, Ukrainians. And on top of that, like if you think about it, what is 100,000 100, people? Uh, currently, more than 4 million of Ukrainians are outside of, uh, had to leave Ukraine. They are outside of Ukraine and they are, they are living in um, at least bombs are not falling on their heads, but they live on the, you know, on floors in the refugee camps, right? At the best, they have a roof over the head. So four million 
is outside of Ukraine right now. And 6 million internally, more than 6 million of uh, Ukrainians were displaced internally. So we're talking about 10 million people who, was currently, who is currently displaced. And 100,000 uh, Ukrainians that hoping to come to, were promised to come to, to United States, 100,000, 10 million, is, it just, it's nothing. And again, like there is no, at least not not as of today, there is no easy way for Ukrainians to use this uh, opportunity. Like for example, yeah. So, so yeah, it is important for uh, to sign this petition and and ask uh, United States Homeland Security or the U.S. government to allow Ukraine to simplify this process to uh, come to United States, uh, like Canada did, and maybe maybe waive the fee or maybe I don't know like at least like make it smaller <laughs> mm -hmm. so in addition to signing um this petition which is very important what can Utahns who want to help in other ways um do right now to send aid uh well um again like you already you already saw there is a, a fund that you the Ukrainians that org org have so uh, Utahns can donate directly to them or also you dance well anyone basically can donate uh, directly to uh, come back alive for example fund this is this this fund is uh, based in Ukraine and uh, they come back alive is basically uh, they supply as well military buying military um, like personal protective and ammunition for uh, Ukrainian army. Uh, there is also UNICEF, that's more of a humanitarian uh, aid, as well as Red Cross, because I know like sometimes um, people would like to donate, but they want to know that they donate into uh, pro like properly, right? And maybe they can like bureaucracy use it on like on taxes that they donate donated. So like I don't like places like Red Cross or UNICEF or Come Back Alive or U the Ukrainian organization. Those are like I'm pretty sure would be um, accepted with your tax guy or girl. Uh, but also all of there is a lot of um, volunteers like myself and um, like a lot of friends and families who is like trying to help friends and families in Ukraine run you know like smaller fundraisers fundraisers like smaller one like you know like they dedicated to like for example my stepfather and my brother-in-law they are currently. They are in territorial defense. They are not in Ukrainian army. They are in territorial defense. And territorial defense right now in Ukraine is heavily relying on, on volunteers um, because all like the aid that comes from the like world right now, uh, first of all, it goes to Ukrainian army, which is great. Uh, but at the same, uh, and at the same time, um, uh, territorial defense is kind of self-organized and relying on volunteers to help with money or help with uh, items like bulletproof vest, ammunition, uh, you know, other like uh, helmets, shoes, like they run in sneakers, like seriously, they don't have like uh, tactical gloves or like simple things like this, they don't have it. Uh, so uh, if, if, if you, for example, if you don't know Ukrainian who runs, uh, fundraiser like personal fundraiser don't be shy don't be afraid help them donate uh, that that's that goes a long way as well and it goes directly to the loved ones yeah we will definitely include um the organizations uh mentioned on the ukrainian association website as well as the resources that you just listed in the show notes for today's show um well thank you so much for joining us, Mira. We really appreciate your time and thank you for all the work and information that you have been putting out there in aiding Ukraine and the efforts that you've been working on in support of Ukraine here in Utah. And thank you again to Anton for sharing your story earlier in the show. Thank you so much for having us and thank you for uh, giving us a voice. A special thank you to Radioactive Executive Producer, Laura Jones, for passing us the mic each week. And thank you to our advisor, SLCC Assistant Professor and Amplify Utah founder, Marcy Uncancio. For a written overview of tonight's show, visit krcl.org and view tonight's show notes. You can also keep up with Amplify Utah by signing up for the monthly newsletter at amplifyutah.org. Don't forget to tune in every Monday night at 6 as we take a deeper dive into diversity. Special guests, stories that matter, 
things you care about. Voices Amplified, a collaboration between Salt Lake Community College, Amplify Utah, and KRCL 90.9. And just with some time here, we at Voices Amplified want to end the show with Kiev Calling by Betten. The Ukrainian band was given permission by The Clash to remake their classic hit London Calling. The new song includes lyrics of resistance against Russian forces. All proceeds from the song will go to the Free Ukrainian Resistance Movement. Here is Kiev Calling by Betten. <laughs> <laughs> 